Hey guys, it's Tana. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Oddity Podity. I'm excited to announce that we have a Patreon now. So if you're looking for more Odd and Pod, check it out at www.patreon slash oddpod. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash O-D-D-P-O-D. I'll post the link in the show notes and on our socials. There are different tiers you can join to gain access to bonus content and other cool swag. We love and appreciate our listeners and wanted to offer you guys just a little something extra. On to today's topic. It's no secret that Stephen King is my favorite author. I even visited his home in Bangor, Maine once, and he didn't even have me arrested. Probably because he didn't actually know I was lurking outside. My favorite Stephen King book is, of course, The Shining. And I'm not special on that because it's actually most people's favorite Stephen King book. Out of the 77 plus books he's published, The Shining remains his all-time bestseller. And for good reason, because it's scary AF. The story takes place inside the Overlook Hotel, which is being cared for during the off-season by a man named Jack Torrance. His wife, Wendy, and his son, Danny, tag along. The family of three are the only souls who remain at the Overlook during the winter, during which they get snowed in. Cabin fever sets in, and that's when we learn that there are actually more than three souls inside this horribly haunted hotel. The Overlook was inspired by a real hotel that Stephen King stayed at and where he experienced some intense creepiness that gave him the idea for the tale. I'm talking about the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. And it's no coincidence that King felt spooky vibes there. The hotel has a long and storied history. So if you're wondering what made this legendary hotel so haunted, keep listening. Because winter is coming, and with it, something wicked. I said, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, probably just like a lot of you are. And probably also like a lot of you, I have every one of his books, both fiction and nonfiction, and of course, his biography. In it, we learn nuggets about Stephen King's life as a writer and what inspired his most famous works, including his most famous of works, a novel called The Shining. In 1974, King was an up-and-coming writer with just two novels under his belt, and he was looking to branch out a bit. If you're a King fan, you know that a lot of his books are set in Maine, where he's from, and where I stalked him. Since his only two novels were set in Maine at that time, King decided that the third needed to be in a different setting. So he opened up an atlas, slapped a finger onto the map at random, and it landed on Boulder, Colorado. King packed up his family and headed to the mountains to write what would eventually become a book called The Stand. But while he was doing that, King took a detour. According to multiple interviews, King has said, quote, while we were living in Boulder, we heard about this terrific old mountain resort hotel and decided to give it a try. But when we arrived, they were just getting ready to close for the season, and we found ourselves the only guests in the place with all those long, empty corridors, end quote. Indeed, on October 30th, Halloween Eve of 1974, the pair checked into the hotel, which was the Stanley in nearby Estes Park. The thing is, October 30th is the end of the season for that area, and all the hotels were closing for the winter before the snow blew in and buried everything. The Stanley only had a skeleton crew left to man the place because all the guests have already checked out. And that night, King and his wife Tabitha were the only guests in that entire massive hotel. The Kings had dinner in the grand dining room completely alone. 
They were given only one choice for a meal, which was the only thing that was left over from all the food that had been stored away for the winter. They stayed in room 217. But that night, King couldn't sleep. He slipped out of bed and down to the hotel bar where he was served drinks by a bartender named Grady. When King finally retired to bed, he had a nightmare. He dreamed of his three-year-old son running through the hotel corridors, looking back over his shoulder and screaming. When he woke, he had the book written inside of his head. If you've read or seen The Shining, these elements will sound familiar. Room 217, Grady, the bartender. A boy running through the hotel halls, screaming out in terror as he's being chased by something wickedly evil. These were in the book, as was the alcoholic Jack Torrance being served by the ghost bartender named Grady in a bar that was supposed to be closed for the winter, with the bottles of the alcohol hidden away under lock and key. At the time, Stephen King himself was struggling with alcoholism and his own feelings of aggravation with his children. I can't speak to the alcoholism, but I think that any of us with children can relate to the latter part, whether we want to admit it or not. King has said in interviews that in writing about Jack Torrance, he was actually writing about himself. Fortunately, King found his way out of the clutches of alcoholism and out of the Stanley Hotel. After their disturbing stay there, the Kings went home to Maine, and Stephen wrote his best-selling novel about it. On the other hand, Jack Torrance escaped neither. His battle with alcohol, combined with cabin fever and feelings of resentment toward his family, weakened his mind and made him easy to manipulate by the ghosts that resided in the hotel. But were there really ghosts inside the Stanley Hotel? And if so, who were they? King answers those questions in his novel, but that's just fiction. What's the truth about the Stanley Hotel and what makes it top the list of most haunted places in America year after year? I'll tell you. But first, I gotta give you the backstory. Back in ye olden times, there were these two guys that you probably never heard of, but who you most definitely have been affected by in your life in major ways. For example, these two dudes invented a method of dry plate photography that they eventually sold to Eastman Kodak. Yes, that Kodak. You owe your modern-day selfies in part to a pair of twins named Francis and Freeland Stanley. In 1897, the twins invented another really cool thing. They built this thingamajig they called the Stanley Steamer. No, I'm not talking about the carpet steamer with the catchy commercial jingle that probably first popped into your mind. The Stanley Steamer that the Stanley twins invented was a car. It had a wooden body on a steel frame with a kerosene boiler mounted under the front seat. Now that doesn't sound very safe. Kind of sounds like a fire waiting to happen. But according to Wired.com, That boiler provided steam that ran the engine in the car, so the whole contraption was kind of like a mini locomotive on wheels. It was one of the first modern vehicles and was invented more than 10 years before Henry Ford's Model T. In fact, the Stanley Steamer set a land speed record at 127.7 miles per hour, a record which remained unbroken for over a century. By 1899, more than 200 Stanley Steamers had been sold, which made the brothers the most successful U.S. automakers at the time. But they didn't get to enjoy their success for very long, because just a few years later, in 1903, Francis was stricken with that good old Victorian bug, tuberculosis. Back then, there wasn't a lot you could do about it except try to get plenty of rest, sunshine, and fresh air, you know, to air your lungs out. So, like a lot of people did back then, Stanley decided to head for the hills. But since he had a little cashola, he decided to go way up into the hills, all the way to the Colorado Rockies. 
Estes Park, Colorado, to be exact, which is only a few miles from the entrance to the Rocky Mountain National Park. Freeland and his wife Flora spent the whole summer in Colorado, and the mountain work like magic, completely kicking the butt of the tuberculi. Freeland made a quick and complete recovery, and he actually lived a super long life after that, dying at the ripe old age of 91. Maybe that's because he and Florida decided to spend every summer in Colorado. They really loved it up there, and they came back each year. But it wasn't long before Freeland became discontent with the meager accommodations and lack of nightlife in the small town. So he decided to build a grand resort so he could vacation in style and invite all of his fancy buddies to hang out with him there. In 1907, Freeland began construction of the Stanley Hotel. It was constructed mainly from locally sourced timber, but some of the wood used to build it came as far away as Pine Bluff, Arkansas. That's a pretty long haul in a time when the only ways to transport heavy materials was by train or mule. The plan started out with a modest 48 rooms and catered to a class of moderately wealthy yuppies that the Stanleys hung out with back east. Because it turns out, Freeland Stanley was from Maine. Yep, just like Stephen King, and from the very same setting that King had been trying to escape in Maine. Isn't that ironic, as Alanis Morissette would say? Anyway, Freeland built this big, beautiful resort with the intention of luring his Maine pals up there for the summers to keep him company. And of course, he also catered to others who suffered from tuberculosis, equipping the hotel with everything anyone would need to make a full recovery from the disease like he had. It was a massive undertaking, and Stanley spared no expense. It was one of the only hotels in the entire world that was powered by electricity and had running water in every room, as well as telephones. The construction cost Stanley $500,000, which is more than $16 million in today's dollars. It included a huge music room, a smoking lounge and a pool hall, and a bowling alley. It was said that even though Stanley didn't smoke due to his lung issues, he understood that smoking and drinking were the standard post-dinner activities for the men at the time, and while he abstained from them, he didn't expect his guests to. However, he loved shooting pool, so he made sure that that beautiful pool hall was built next to the men's social quarters so that he could shoot pool and visit with his friends in a smoke-free area. He also installed French doors that opened out into verandas installed in all the public spaces, which made for an open and airy view of the mountain. The hotel had its grand opening on July 4th of 1909. For the occasion, Stanley Motor Carriage Company created a fleet of steam-powered mountaineering vehicles called mountain wagons. These mountain wagons were specially designed to transport hotel guests from the train station at the foothill of the mountain all the way up the hill to the hotel. These vehicles could carry multiple passengers and were like early snowcats. Y'all remember the snowcats, right? If you've seen The Shining, you know what I'm talking about. They were the only things that could get you up and down the mountain once the snow hit. Except a mountain wagon, of course. Stanley loved the hotel so much that he basically just ran it for fun, once saying that he lost more money than he made every summer. But that was cool with him because the massive Colorado hotel was his favorite place to be, especially when his pals from up north came up the hills to hang out with him. But just a couple years after the hotel opened, tragedy struck for the first time. Although the hotel was powered by electricity, its location up in the freezing mountains meant that power outages were a thing, and being without lights was not an option in a luxurious but spooky hotel. So Stanley had an auxiliary gas lighting system installed as a backup. One summer day in June of 1911, chambermaids were deployed to light those backup gas lamps in the guests' rooms, though no one is really sure why. 
But room 17, the room that Stephen King famously stayed in, was the presidential suite at the time. And a chambermaid named Elizabeth Wilson was tasked with lighting the gas lamps in that room. Did you know that back in the day, gas had no smell? Yeah, today if there's a gas leak in your house, you can totally smell it because a chemical called ethyl mercaptan has been added to it. They started adding this odorization to the gas so that you could sniff out a gas leak and avoid an explosion. But this was before ethyl mercaptan was a thing. And unbeknownst to Elizabeth, there was indeed a gas leak in room 217. So when she walked through the door with a lit candle, everything exploded. Initially, there were multiple accounts of exactly what happened and who exactly it happened to. A June 26th article from the Montrose Daily Press stated that a chambermaid named Elizabeth Lambert was killed by the blast and 20 guests were injured, along with some super dramatic details about people putting out fires and saving lives. They also said that everyone had noticed the smell of gas all day, but for some reason, Elizabeth went ahead into that room with an open flame, which seems insane. However, other papers at the time, which have since been accepted as the most accurate portrayal of events, reported that it was indeed Elizabeth Wilson and that she had not been killed, but instead had been thrown from the second floor down to the first, landing in the main dining hall and breaking both of her ankles and injuring the rest of her body pretty badly. Only seven other hotel employees were mildly injured and no guests were harmed. As the story went, Elizabeth was hospitalized for quite a while, and Mr. Stanley covered all of her medical costs. When she was released from the hospital, she returned to the hotel to work, and Stanley promoted her to head chambermaid. Clearly, this happened in a time well before you could sue the pants off your employer for negligence. Otherwise, Elizabeth never would have returned to work. Can you imagine the PTSD she probably dealt with every time she walked into a guest room? As it were, Elizabeth did return to work, and she stayed on as head chambermaid until she died in the 1950s. After her death, she became one of the hotel's most famous ghosts. In 2014, Barb Boyer Buck wrote an article for the Estes Park Trail Gazette newspaper, which gave historical evidence that supported the reported haunting in room 217. The article says that the explosion demolished around 7,000 square feet of the hotel, which was its entire West Wing and about 10% of the total property. That's like two of my houses, so it gives you an idea of how forceful the blast was and how lucky Elizabeth was to survive. In fact, 103 years later, a hotel engineer who was working in the basement discovered pieces of drywall and carpet lodged into the foundation. It was later confirmed through hotel historians that the wallpaper and carpet was the very same that Flora Stanley had picked out for the presidential suite. This meant that room 217 had exploded so violently that its interior had blown all the way into the basement. The accident was a result of what's called a compression explosion, which is caused by the buildup of pressure of the gas. So instead of resulting in a gout of flame that would burn the whole entire hotel down, it actually put out its own fire. And like I said, after Elizabeth recovered, she continued working at the Stanley Hotel and stayed there even as the hotel changed ownership several times. Shortly after her death, some 40 plus years later, people began reporting paranormal activity in room 217, which was attributed to the unfortunate chambermaid. According to the article, Elizabeth was not at all like the ghost that haunted the room in Stephen King's novel. In his story, the ghost in that room was of a woman named Lorraine Massey. Lorraine was the wife of a prominent New York lawyer and a regular at the Overlook Hotel. In her younger days, she would seduce young bellboys into her room, where they'd fool around unbeknownst to her husband. As she aged, she resorted to hiring way too young male escorts to keep her company. 
1975, she arrived at the Overlook with her 17-year-old hired lover, who promptly stole her Porsche and abandoned her. The hotel manager, Mr. Allman, offered to call the police, but a humiliated Lorraine declined, deciding instead to park it at the hotel bar and drink all day. But later that night, she committed suicide in the bathtub of room 217. In the Stanley Kubrick version of the movie, he changed that room number to 237 to avoid identifying the Stanley Hotel as the hotel in question. And for good reason, as the ghost of Lorraine Massey is hands down the most terrifying spirit at the Overlook Hotel. To her victims, she first presented as a beautiful woman rising naked out of a bathtub, but then quickly morphed into a rotten zombie that attacked whomever had the misfortune of meeting her. On the contrary, Elizabeth Wilson, the actual ghost that is said to haunt Room 217 in real life, couldn't be more different from Lorraine Massey. Elizabeth was said to be especially prudent and proper. She's been known to physically climb into bed with unmarried couples that stay in that room and forcefully push them apart. And she still takes her job duties super seriously, too, often folding and putting away guest clothes and packing them up for them. So she's really sort of a helpful ghost, cleaning up the place and helping to prevent unplanned pregnancies. Pretty much the exact opposite of Lorraine Massey. I've covered plenty of haunted hotels on this podcast, and there are scores of documented deaths behind their walls. But when it comes to the Stanley Hotel, for me, the real question is, are the ghosts there real or are they just byproducts of Stephen King's imagination that have leaked into our collective consciousness? That depends on who you ask. Like I said, the Stanley tops the list of most haunted hotels in the world year after year. Yet as far as hotels go, there's precious little documentation of actual deaths. In The Shining, the hotel manager claimed that there were more than 50 deaths that occurred there, but that doesn't seem to be true for the Stanley. Still, throughout the hotel's history, there have been reports of ghostly apparitions roaming the halls of the hotel. Freeland Stanley himself is said to be one of them, as is his wife Flora. Freeland can be seen wandering the halls or, more often, in the hotel bar. I mean, that's where I'd hang out if I was a ghost. His wife Flora also haunts the halls, but she's more classy than me, or him. She's most often seen playing piano in the ballroom, and she's just as often not seen but heard, with both employees and guests reporting hearing piano music coming from the room and even seeing the piano keys moving on their own. Others have reported feeling a markedly cold area near Flora's grand piano, which they interpret as her spirit. Freeland and Flora forever, y'all. While most people want to stay in room 217, and there's a long waiting list to prove it, it's not the only guest room where you might see a ghost. Room 407 is supposedly haunted by the spirit of a man named Lord Dunraven. Lord Dunraven was the man who owned the land before Freeland Stanley purchased it. Not surprisingly, as you can guess from his name, the Lord was from England, and he bought about 1,500 acres of Colorado land with the intention of making it a wild game reserve. But even though Lord Dunraven loved Colorado, the locals didn't love him, and they ran him out of town in a roundabout way. Freeland Stanley originally planned to name his hotel after Lord Dunraven and call it the Dunraven, but the locals signed a petition asking him instead to name it after himself, which he eventually did. But some believe that the spirit of Lord Dunraven returned to the land that he loved so much after he died, because guests have reported seeing his face peeking into the window of room 407, and staff have reported seeing it there even when the room isn't booked. Room 418 is also haunted by the scariest haunts available child ghosts. No one is sure who these children are or how they got there, but the guests and staff have reported hearing children's laughter in the room and in the hallway outside of it when there were no children booked into the hotel. 
There are plenty of photos floating around on the internet that show what appear to be ghosts at the Stanley Hotel, but the one that really gave me the shivers was taken during a ghost tour. It shows a group of people gathered around a staircase, and in it, there's the blurry form of a child running up the stairs, and an even clearer image of another child walking toward the group. The image of the second child clearly shows the back of a little girl with long blonde hair, but it is also clear that the girl is not part of the group. And the person who submitted the photo confirms this. There were no children on the tour, so whatever they are, they are not among the living. So again, we don't know how these children's ghosts came to be at the Stanley, but we do know that they're there. Remember, the hotel was built in a time when people regularly died from tuberculosis, pneumonia, and various other viruses and bacteria and diseases, and Stanley himself designed the hotel to accommodate the sick, so it wouldn't be surprising if a few children did die while they were staying there. If you're lucky enough to get to stay in room 217, though, the ghost of Elizabeth Wilson isn't the only one said to inhabit it. The ghost of a small boy is said to appear outside of that room, where he stands in the hallway calling out for his nanny. Remember, Stephen King himself said that he dreamed of a young boy, which was his own son, running down the hallways and screaming when he stayed in room 217, so maybe the ghost of that young boy had something to do with his dream. It's also said that you can sometimes hear the voices of the souls that live in 217 if you stand inside the closet of the room, and sometimes they'll let you do just that during the ghost tours that are held inside the hotel. But not all of the ghosts at the Stanley came from humans. In another strange Stephen King connection, there is a pet cemetery on the hotel grounds where the various owners of the hotel buried their pets over the years. The pet cemetery was actually there well before Stephen King wrote about his. The Estes Park Trail Gazette article mentions two specific animal specters that guests and staff have seen roaming the property. A golden retriever named Cassie and a white cat named Comanche. These ghost animals have been seen all over the grounds, as well as in the hallways and in guest rooms. As much as I'd hate to see the child ghost, I would love to see an animal ghost, especially Golden Retriever one, because you know that would be the cutest. They're the best. Even guests that don't outright see ghosts report feeling intense cold spots, hearing strange voices, footsteps, and noises, and being overwhelmed with the feeling that they're being watched, among other creepy things. Whether those feelings come from actual paranormal activity or the fact that the hotel from The Shining is ingrained in our collective consciousness remains to be seen. The fact that Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining is playing on a 24-hour loop in the lobby and that red rum is scratched into the attic door might have something to do with it too. The hotel also has a miniature version of the movie's hedge maze which adds to the creepy icky feeling of certain dread. Ghost hunters and Stephen King fans aren't the only ones who visit the hotel. From presidential candidates to Japanese royalty to famous folk singers like Bob Dylan and Joan Baez, the Stanley has seen more than its fair share of important visitors. It was also the filming site for one of my favorite movies of all time, 1994's Dumb and Dumber with Jim Carrey, Jeff Daniels, and Lauren Holly. And in 1996, Stephen King got the chance to make the version of The Shining that he always envisioned. You see, as much as we all love Stanley Kubrick's version of Jack Torrance, which was famously played by Jack Nicholson, Stephen King has been very vocal about how much he hated it. So the author's vision was realized when the film was remade and shot at the Stanley Hotel that inspired the story. Well, guys, that's the truth and the fiction behind the infamous Stanley Hotel. It's a place I'd love to stay at if I could convince somebody to go to Colorado with me because I sure ain't going alone. 
Also, I'm really small and I'd freeze to death real quickly if I got lost in that hedge maze, which I definitely would. If any of y'all have visited the Stanley Hotel and had a paranormal experience, drop me a line at odditypottity at gmail.com. I'd love to hear about it. Well, guys, as always, thank you for spending your time with me today. I so appreciate it. And I also appreciate you guys who've checked out the Patreon page. I hope y'all come back and see me next time for a little more history and a little more haunt. We'll see you then.